0: Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Just staying
1: frugal. We do not spend money on stuff if we see a loss or are going to continue to see a loss.
0: Today on episode 524 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the co-founder of CrossNet, Chris Mead. There's no question that we're in unprecedented times, and I hope that the stories of our guests can help you focus on the opportunities that are often hidden in a crisis. Today, I'm going to ask Chris how to find your unique idea, create value for others and build profit for yourself and much more. There are lessons here that many of us can apply to find opportunities right now. You can find out more about Chris along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Right now, digital marketing is more important than ever to keep your business going. Your clients need to know you are there to help them deal with their challenges. Our friends at SiteHub have many resources to help your audience stay aware of how you can help them. Contact SiteHub today at yoursitehub.com. Now let's welcome Chris Mead. Chris is the co-founder of CrossNet, the world's first four-way volleyball game. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay, so I've got to ask you right at the outset, Chris, what is a four-way volleyball game?
1: Yeah, four-way volleyball. So we invented CrossNet, which is literally what it sounds like. It's two volleyball nets that are stitched together and intersect, and it allows four people to be playing competitive uh, volleyball and four-square. It's a hybrid mix, and you're essentially just smashing the ball at each other, and the games are played to 11, win by two.
0: Okay, so so why did you do this?
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was home. Uh, me, my brother Greg, and our co-founder Mike, uh, we were home like one summer, and Mike had just graduated from Northeastern with an engineering degree. Uh, we were kind of stuck at our corporate jobs, and we're like, we love playing sports. We love going outside, but there's just nothing really when we're at the beach that's really something to do and it's fun. So, we invented our own four way volleyball net.
0: And okay, so I get the idea of creating this game because you love doing it and you, yep. right, and you saw a way to maybe pivot some other games that were out there and create something new and different that was exciting. How did you come up with the idea to actually start a business around this?
1: Yeah. So, one night we were literally sitting on the couch, the three of us, and we're like, let's come up with something, let's invent something. We could definitely do something cool together. And so we wrote down hundreds of ideas and a four-way volleyball net while ESPN was on on in the background was the best idea we had. And we're like, wow, this could be really fun if we had our friends playing something that we could set up pretty quickly and just have a really good time and, and invent something new. So we Googled it, checked it out pretty much everywhere and could not find a single person doing it. So the next morning we woke up, we went to Walmart, we bought two nets, we tied them together, kind of rigged it up, and invented our own rules, and then we invited our friends over and we just played for literally hours on
0: end until the sun went down. So the first step was you did actually a massive brainstorming session, yeah, exactly so right so it wasn't it wasn't that you came up with the idea of cross net first,
1: correct yeah we were we were sitting there brainstorming all night, and then the four-way volleyball idea came up and we're like, wow, this is how is this not being done already?"
0: And what, what technique did you use to do the brainstorming?
1: It was just literally anything and ed- everything that would come to our mind. We would just write on a piece of paper. We okay. Google, just watch TV for inspiration. We just wrote down tons of stuff. And what were some of the things you came up with? Uh, one was a speaker that charged into an outlet. So it was just like a permanent speaker that was always turned on. That was like plugged into an electrical outlet. It was pretty dumb, but that was our yeah. second best idea. So the volleyball game was really cool. And what were some of the others? Ah, geez, it was like three years ago. Honestly, not even that memorable. So we really only had two good ideas and this was the best one. So we rolled with it.
0: Okay, all right. So brainstorming and then doing a little bit of uh, research. So first you did research online. Correct. And then you tested it out with some actual people.
1: Exactly, yeah. So we we tested it out with some friends. Uh, We kind of combined it, uh, Foursquare, which is a childhood game, which is one of our favorites, uh, with volleyball. Just try to keep the ball alive try to get out the person you, who's serving the ball at you and then advance to the square where you could actually serve. So we, we made our own rules. We had our friends over and we're like, wow, we're really onto something here because everybody's having a great time playing this. Let's, let's actually make it something.
0: Okay. And how did you go from just interacting with your friends and realizing that it worked for a small group of people who already, mm-hmm. already knew you, already liked you, already trusted you. Exactly. How did you actually go from that to a business that made money?
1: Yeah. So from there, we, we had a blueprint. We, we made the game. We outsourced uh, over. We found a factory overseas uh, that was a reputable sporting goods company. They ended up shipping us over a sample, which we then took to the beach, tested it out, obviously found ways to improve it. But when we brought it to the beach that day, I man, 50, 100 people at a time would be walking up to this thing. They had never seen a four way volleyball net in their life because it was never created before. And they were just intrigued. It was small enough to be portable. Fun that everybody was smiling and laughing. So people just kept coming up trying to jump in on our games. And we're like, okay, let's get our price point down and let's be able to sell this guy.
0: Okay, so you were pretty clear at the beginning that you had something that was a major differentiator in the marketplace. It wasn't anything that you could find that was out there. And you did you tested it out on a few people. Um, You also tested it again in a way that created some visibility because you were doing it on the beach. Exactly. Which is very different than a lot of people when they have their ideas, they're creating something in their home, in their office, in their lab or whatever. Other people don't see it. So yeah. creating awareness is one of the big steps. So I love the fact that you tried this on the beach. Did you ever, when, as you were trying it, did you ever feel like, oh, if people think this is dumb, we're going to just look stupid?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's times when we set it up and we struggled and we're like, oh, wow, we, we really feel stupid. But as soon as we got it all the way like, to be standing, because I mean, it takes some time to like stake it into the ground and people start seeing it. They're like, OK, we could get down with this. So we literally went back to the lab. We, we started manufacturing. We started small, sold about 50, scaled, went to 100. And last year we sold around 20,000 units.
0: Not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. How did you figure out what to do yourselves and what to outsource to others? So the three
1: of us kind of have our core competencies, like I'm really good at sales and reaching out to to people and also website design. My brother's really good at marketing and social media, uh, while our other partner, Mike, is really good at engineering. So the three of us all had our different skill sets, but together, it kind of helped build the company that much faster.
0: And were all three of you in corporate jobs when you started this?
1: Uh, no, I was actually the only one in a corporate job. I was doing nine to five. I was working at Uber, uh, the headquarters in New York city. Uh, Mike had just graduated and my brother was, uh, doing some e-commerce stuff online that but it was just kind of flexible.
0: Mm-hmm. And is entrepreneurship something that one or, or all three of you had kind of in your blood or really wanted to do badly before yeah. you got together and decided to do this?
1: Without a doubt. I mean, my brother and I, we grew up like just flipping stuff on eBay, even from a young age. Like I remember when I was 13 years old, like selling video games online or buying video games for cheap and then selling them. So we were always doing things like selling tickets and all of that, uh, that anything to turn a profit online was something always of an interest to us. So when we knew that we had a good idea that we could sell and kind of take advantage of our sales and social media skills, we knew it was time to kind of risk it all and try to make a business out of it.
0: Hmm. And do you think the the online component was something that was really critical to the three of you being able to succeed?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, one from just being really in tune with social media, we we think we know how to sell a product online and run ads uh, better than the majority of people. And then on top of that, we were all in different states. So just being able to have run our business online remotely uh, was huge. And it's something I definitely think if we started this company 20 years ago, uh, we wouldn't have found the same success.
0: Hmm. So what what are some of the tools that you found made it really easy to launch and then run a business with the three principles in totally different locations?
1: Yeah, so one thing we we started doing was we knew that if we created high quality content for cheap and not investing too much money in the video, uh, we'd be able to to sell these guys in waves. So we would make, rather than spending like, Fifteen twenty thousand dollars 20000 like a lot of people do on a, a nice high quality video, we'd spend 200 bucks and we'd make videos geared towards different demographics. So we have our mom and dad video, we have our kids video, we have the millennials video, and we even have videos geared towards grandparents who are looking to buy for their granddaughters and grandsons. So kind of split testing videos and then targeting them on Facebook and their, their respective medias to to kind of blow up the
0: sales. Right. So that, that's actually a really important component of, um, of creating a strategy using videos, which is you can create a big impact with a very small investment. Exactly. What did you actually use to create the videos?
1: Uh, we would just have a, a videographer, like I went to film school. So by by trade, I'm a cinematographer and photographer. So I did a lot of our videos starting off. And then we were able to hire our friends who were full-time videographers for super cheap. We'd say, hey, come down to Miami, Florida come down for a mini vacation and just shoot us a 30 second video. And they're like, yeah, that's a trade-off I'll take all day long.
0: Uh-huh. When, when you were thinking of that, are there ways that you can, you can figure out how to create something that is higher quality than you might get by, by hiring somebody who's a seasoned professional with some of these kinds of trade-offs that you, that you use to create the videos? Because I think that's a really interesting idea.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, we were able to get really nice, high-quality footage. We had people who had great cameras and that were normally charging $5,000 for a video. And we were able to either put them in a hotel or kind of give them a fun getaway from their cold Connecticut home. And they were able to give us really good quality. And we'd also hook them up with a net, which they love for their family or their friends. Uh, So we really got stuff super cheap, and we continue to do that. I don't think we've spent more than $1,000 on a video. And we have dozens, if not hundreds of videos at this point.
0: Wow. Wow. So you, you were able to figure out something that these service providers wanted other than cash. And, and you were able to kind of trade on places where you had something that they wanted you that you could offer them plus some cash. You could get a high quality result.
1: Exactly. And in return, they're getting their videos publicized. Like we do a lot of press. So Forbes uh, was covered us a few weeks back. So like they now have their video linked and attributed to a brand that was in Forbes or uh, we're in a lot of big box retail stores. So like Dick Sporting Goods or Shields, if they have videos playing on a loop inside their stores, our videographers who may have not been as well-known now have a piece of content playing at national big box stores. So that's an attractive trade-off saying, hey, man, it's not going to just live on YouTube. It's going to be in stores across the country.
0: Wow, pretty cool. So, Chris, in addition to finding these unique ways to, to create some marketing assets. What are some of the other techniques that you use that really you, you think catapulted your business forward when it comes to online promotion and online sales?
1: Um, Email marketing, without a doubt. Uh, We do everything we can possibly do to capture a a potential customer's email uh, when they're on our site. So whether it's upselling them with a discount code or giving them a volleyball net or anything that we could possibly do to kind of get their email, uh, we'll then we ha- we invest a lot of money in email marketing. So uh, we'll send out one to three emails a week that are super high quality. It's not just text, they're nice graphics, uh, Giphy's, all of that good stuff, uh, educational videos. To really try to move them down the funnel mm-hmm. and it will kind of segment the audiences as well. So we know people of this age group will get this type of email marketing while people of this demographic will
0: get this type. What do you think makes certain kinds of emails high quality versus other stuff that you see other people putting out?
1: Well, I see a lot of like startup e-commerce brands that really didn't have, I mean, we were self-funded too. So it's not like we had tons of money to throw to this. But you could definitely see the difference between somebody who made the email themselves and have no copyright experience, see typos and errors and spacing issues and low quality photos versus a brand that's really established. And we were able to make our small three person company working from our laptops at Starbucks look like it was a multi million dollar brand. So really just investing the time and effort to, to make the emails look beautiful and high quality allows the consumer to kind of think, oh, this is a trustworthy brand. May have never seen them in real life before, but it's okay. And I'm going to put my credit card in and buy a $150 volleyball net. So we were able to do that so much last year. Uh, it's really exciting.
0: Now, do you think that there it makes a difference what the price point is of the offering in terms of how easy it is to sell something online?
1: Oh, 100%. We have a $150 price point. So it's definitely a bit harder to sell than it's, it's not an impulse buy, right? You see something on Facebook time and time again. If it's 15 or 20 bucks, you might just be cool. Okay, I'll put my credit card in. But with a $150 product, it's a little bit more difficult on our end. Uh, We see a lot of comments saying, hey, this is just out of my price range right now. I need to budget for it or something like that. So we've taken measures like uh, signing up with payment payment plan companies to kind of uh, target people who may not have the budget for it to go on a payment plan. Zero interest, stuff like that. So or signing up to our newsletter and giving them discounts they normally wouldn't receive online. But by giving us their email, they may be able to send, save 25, even $50 sometimes.
0: Chris, sounds like you guys have really pooled your your diverse skill sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to the skills that you, the three of you bring to the table, where did you find that you needed to go outside for some help?
1: Graphic design, uh-huh. big time. Um, None of us are graphic designers. If I try to put something together in Photoshop, it's not going to look that pretty. So we uh, we luckily found a few really good graphic designers. And also, uh, we just hired a full time event specialist. So we had trouble just kind of finding the time to lock down big events across the country. So we hired somebody full time to just get us at concerts and music festivals and all these different trade shows. So those are two areas that we really needed help on because those weren't our expertise and we locked those down quickly.
0: Mm. What methods did you use to try to find these kinds of resources?
1: So I actually use a, a really cool website that I love. Uh, it's called freeup.com. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's super helpful because you could really sort by price range. You could sort by demographic. Whatever you're looking for, you kind of break it down as niche as possible. And then the response time is really great. So freeup.com has anything and everything that you're looking for. If it's graphic designer, coder, Oh, and coding as well. That's been a a big outsourced thing because I don't know code. So good resource.
0: And are there techniques that you use to, when you knew you had to find somebody outside the three of you for some of these unique skill sets, are there techniques that you used to enhance your ability to get somebody who was a really good fit on the first try? Because I know one of the things I've seen people go through is like, like in your case, if you if you knew you needed some help with graphic design, you might have yeah. hired somebody who you thought was going to be good, turned out that maybe they were 50% of what you hoped for, and you work with them for a few months thinking maybe things are going to get better. And by the time you actually realize that it's not working out and you need to go to another resource, you've wasted a number of months, you've, you've invested some money, you've trained them and then you have to start all over again. What are some of the things that you've done to try to avoid that kind, of, uh, that, that kind of problem?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's always gonna happen and people's lives change. Sometimes we've had freelancers that signed on with us that had to leave because they got a full-time job. Uh, but one thing I did, if possible, so graphic design is something that you could kind of A-B test, right? We had three graphic designers uh, who were interested in joining on for us. One was 25 bucks, one was 30, one was 35 an hour trying to be as financially savvy as possible. I'm trying to work with that $25 person if they could give me similar results to that $35 an hour. So I would have all of them make a similar uh, graphic, whether it's for a tournament or an event popping up or just a general press announcement. Uh, And then I would kind of compare the work. And whoever kind of came closest to what I needed with our budget, that was the one we rolled with. So we kind of split tested the jobs that we needed done. And the same thing on the coding side. If I needed this type of uh, page layout done for our website, I'd have two different coders working on the site on different ends. And whoever worked the fastest was the one that got to work as long as it was priced affordably.
0: Yeah, so that's actually an important technique. So you're you're A, B testing simultaneously, concurrently, rather than testing something sequentially where you're going to lose time if the first one doesn't work out.
1: Of course, yeah. I'm never trying to save as much time as possible. So as long as the budget is... And you, you stay lean with your budget. You price it out for a day, you price it out for an hour, uh, and you can really kind of get a grasp of how people work uh, within the first few days, as long as they are straightforward about how much time they have to allocate to, to your business.
0: Chris, when you look back on what you, the three of you have done to develop CrossNet, is there one thing that perhaps stands out in your mind as being a really unexpected challenge that you thought at the time was really going to throw you for a loop?
1: Oh, yeah. Inventory, without a doubt. I mean, we self-funded this guy from 10000 bucks pulling our cash together to $2.5 million in sales last year. So there's been times, and it's still unpredictable, right? We're, we're in February right now, and our sales are 4x what they were last February. So there's times where just people will come in order in waves. And since there's a, a lead time that you have to factor into these things, if you get hit with too many waves, your inventory might take a take a plummet so we signed on with a big uh sporting goods store called shields out in uh, in the midwest they have like 28 locations right now so when they ordered that's thousand units out that you didn't even expect to be be sold so accounting for stuff like that is problematic but it is also a fun problem to have
0: yes yeah trying to prepare for wild success while you may be struggling with cash flow is a big issue Mm -hmm. without a doubt And looking back, what would you say might be one of the smartest things that you did to overcome a challenge?
1: Just staying frugal. Uh, We do not spend money on stuff if we see a loss or are going to continue to see a loss. I see a lot of companies running ads at a a negative loss. Oh, we only lost $100 today. We only lost $250, but we're getting traffic to the site. If we don't see something working within the first few hours or first few days, like, it's cut. We're not going to just keep bleeding money because the only thing we're trying to do is make a profit and spread our game. So if we could, as long as we're not losing money, that that's the name of the game. And we don't invest in stuff unless we know we're going to see a return very, very shortly.
0: Right. Because what the three of you are doing is you're running a business. It's not a hobby. Exactly. Right. So you got to be really clear on the bottom line, especially at this stage when cash flow may be tight.
1: Exactly, yeah, and and we've we've scaled this so cash flow isn't as tight as it used to be. But we don't risk money on ads. We don't risk money on videos. I'm not going to pay somebody ten grand for a video when I could get a, a similar video done for five hundred dollars. Our goal is to make as much net profit and to hire as many employees as possible to keep growing this guy out into a national sport.
0: Right. So that being said, what's your dream for Crossnet?
1: Right now, our our goal. We're in three thousand schools right now. Uh, the, my biggest dream. And I didn't even think it was kind of a dream when I started the company. Is that we're changing the way volleyball is taught in America. Kids are learning how to play volleyball on a cross net instead of a volleyball net. If you think back to gym class when we were younger, it would be six on six, 10 on 10. You touched the ball once or twice in the whole entire class, and it was a boring gym class. So now you're touching the ball 10, 15 times every few minutes. So uh, if we could continue to become a staple in every school, that would be a huge dream. And of course, CrossNet Olympics one day would be cool, too.
0: Oh, wow. That sounds great. Chris, if somebody wants to learn more from you, go deeper with anything you said or get in touch with you, where would they go?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn would be a great spot. Uh, LinkedIn, Chris Mead or Chris at CrossNetGame.com.
0: And do you have a free gift for our audience?
1: Yeah, of course. If you go to our website and use the code plateau twenty five. That'll be $25 off your order.
0: Sounds great. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. You've done such a fabulous job creating a a new game, creating a lot of buzz around it, creating a business around it, and um, looking forward to seeing what comes in the future. Thank you so much. My guest today has been the co-founder of CrossNet, Chris Mead. Thank you again, Chris, for joining us. Thank you. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, You'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned how to find your unique idea, create value for others, and build profit for yourself and much more. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.